Everybody, it's Rock, the host of the For the King podcast. Not the Rock, not Dwayne. No, no, no. I'm talking about Peter Petro. Oh, Petros, Petros. Oh, Petros, that old old fellow. I uh, I would love to name my kid that, but I I thought that my name would actually mean Rock, and it doesn't. It means rest. Rocky means rest, literally. In what language? I don't know. I think it's Italian. It means rest. Italian or not even? Well, Rocky's an Italian name. Oh, I see, I see. But uh, Balboa. Yeah, but but Peter's name literally does mean rock. I thought my name would literally mean rock, but it doesn't. So Petro. Huh. I think I feel like that'd be a cool middle name. That's for weird because you're never at rest. <laughs> I know. I'm always bouncing no, off the nothing walls. Nothing has ever acted upon you because an object at rest remains at rest until another object acts upon it. Huh. Isn't that the law? Aren't you studying philosophy? Well, I, How do you even know about I that? I dabble in Newtonian physics. <laughs> I dabble. On the side, he's Is a that physicist. Newtonian physicist? Or phys- yeah. Uh, Isaac Newton. That's one of his laws. Okay. Of motion. Um, we good? Is that what we're talking about today? No, 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 Brycey. Wait, that's, you told me to prepare for that. I know. It's, I was just trying to make this enjoyable for the audience. I, I told Bryce that we were going to be talking about Newtonian physics today. Um, so he's not going to be prepared at all. So you'll see actually like how much this guy has to prepare to have anything good to say. Wow. So today, um, we're going to, I'm prepared, but he'll be off the cuff. So I don't know if he'll actually have anything good to say at all. Yeah, we'll see what happens. No, he's got two books open in front of him. He's prepared. We're ready to go. So thanks for joining us today, guys. Um, hope things are well and um, the podcast is continuing to grow we're almost to a thousand uh, listens all time that's crazy <laughs> four digits reaching the nations eight countries right. 15 plus states <laughs> yeah it's it's um it's been good God seems to be blessing it and I'm thankful for the success it's had already and even if it failed tomorrow I would be happy with some of the, the people that got to hear and what yeah. I got to do already so today we're continuing with the Christology um, and Essex will series. not be here. Essex not popping in today. Don't even worry about that guy. Don't even... He's not here. He's popped out. He popped out today. But Bryce and I are popping inside today. And of the text. we're talking about, again, Christology. This is the second um, part of this, this new series we're doing on the doctrine of Christ. And last week we talked about the pre-incarnate eternal Christ and... We had a ton of really good text, and we were in John 1 and Hebrews 1, Colossians 1, a lot of different places, Christophanies in the Old Testament. Man, I can't burp. That was one of those I can't burp moments. Um, Hopefully you guys get used to that. Yeah, you guys are probably starting to pick up on that. Um, I know know his fiance hasn't, so hopefully (laughs) you guys can find. She thinks it's funny. (laughs) Um, So yeah, we went through all that last week, so now we want to logically continue in this series and the next... um, logical step in this doctrine of Christ would be the incarnation. So he's existed all throughout the Old Testament in, the uh, in this was pre the word, he was with God. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. He's in this pre uh, incarnate eternal state all before the incarnation. So the next thing that happens in this existence of Christ, him being eternally existent, is that he incarnates himself into our reality um, to be with us. Um, 
God sent his only son to die for us, to save us from our sins. And this is uh, one of the glorious things about Jesus, that he willingly subjects himself to this. He is not forced to incarnate himself. It was ne- it's the foundation of all Christian thought. Exactly, yeah. And if, um, again, if Jesus did not incarnate himself and do the work that he did in his obedience to his Father and then die on the cross, then we should be a people pitied. So yeah. this, this, again, is essential. This is Orthodox, Nicene Creed kind of stuff. This isn't like the whole Calvinism thing. That's a secondary doctrine. It's very important, but it's not... Um, <laughs> Bryce, Bryce, go, Bryce lets it bleed into the primary kind of stuff. Parts of it does. Um, it's, more, it's shaded more in primary for me. Bryce, is, Bryce thinks it's more of a primary doctrine. I think it's um, parts of it can bleed into primary, but in and of itself, it's not against orthodoxy. So we're, you know, we're in, a, <laughs> we're in um, this Christology series, and this, this is orthodoxy. This is yeah. like you need that. Literally everything we're saying, you have to believe it or you're Else, not a Christian. Yeah. You're not a follower of Christ. You have a different Christ because we're presenting you what the Bible says about about Jesus and, and and that doesn't mean you have to be able to articulate these things. That's not at all what we're getting at. We're just saying that if you don't believe that Jesus is the Son of the Living God as He's presented in Scriptures, yeah, then there's no salvation for you. And if you don't think He came bodily in the flesh and yeah. died for our sins as an yeah. atoning sacrifice, you're not a Christian. And you know, it, again, yeah. this is just foundational things that we're dealing with here. Yeah, nothing. It, it's it's about belief as opposed to the articulate thought of it. Exactly, and these aren't unclear things in the text. These are clear. Yeah, this is plain. These are very. This is a plain teaching of the text. This is not. People can say, "Oh, how can you claim to know what the Bible says or know what God's like?" And it's, yeah. the Bible is very clear in a lot of things. There's some things where it's harder to tell yeah. what's actually true, like the Book of Revelation. That's a tough one. Mm, it takes. That's an easy one. Now, for you, but for a while, it was hard, right? <laughs> yeah. But now that we're post-mill, we got everything figured out. I am not post-mill. Bryce is post-mill. So, yeah, this is what we're doing today. So, um, let's get into it. Where are we going first? Oh, yeah. Rocky. Luke, uh, Luke, Luke chapter uh, 1. Let me read it. Oh, you're already there? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, do that. Um, so, the foundation of Christ coming and uh, being birthed of a woman is found in Luke chapter 1. Super, you know, this is what we sing every Christmas. Or not sing, we read it every Christmas. Um, and it's Luke one thirty-five, and it says, And the angel answered her. This is uh, Gabriel answering back to Mary. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And this is him answering a question of how I'm a virgin. How I give birth? Yeah. Right? So this is where we get the miraculous virgin birth that's been prophesied in the Old Testament. And now we see its fulfillment in the New Testament with Mary. Yeah, so this is the way that the Savior entered the world. He became uh, flesh by the womb of a virgin woman. Mm-hmm. Matthew one eighteen as well. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. And also in, um, let's see, Matthew one twenty, Joseph, son of David, uh, or sorry, shortly after the angel of the Lord said to Joseph, who was engaged to Mary, Joseph, son of David, do not fear, take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived of her is of the Holy Spirit. And also Matthew one twenty four through 25. Uh, Joseph did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had born a son, and he called his name Jesus. So we see um, multiple, multiple verses about the beginning of Jesus' life that he came from the Holy Spirit, and Joseph knew her not. Joseph never knew his wife, which is um, 
a euphemism back in the day for um, being sexually intimate with your wife. And he that, that never happened between him and Mary. Right. And um, the claim is, in the Christian faith, that he was um, conceived of the Holy Spirit by the Virgin Mary, who never had known a man. Right. Joseph did not know him. So those are all, again... The Gospels at the beginning is where we get the, the start of Jesus' life, the incarnation. And this is not something that's illogical because if God created the universe, surely he can implant a seed in a woman yeah. to give birth to a child. Surely he could do that. If he's God, surely he could do that. If he couldn't, not God. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, there's no there's no logical contradiction there. Um, it's supernatural. Yeah. Right? Well, e- even um, we have troubles in philosophy of mind understanding how the humans have a soul. So Not the humans. Like, I'm not a human. I said that weird. How how humans – how the humans have a, a soul. No. How um, – Rocky's an angel. <laughs> yeah, I, I just accidentally gave myself away. I'm, <laughs> you know, like some – you serve some angels on a, on a knowing or whatever that yeah. verse. Um, but yeah, there, we have conundrums in uh, our philosophy of mind. It's like how can humans have these metaphysical things – about them, but also be physical. Like God can do this. He put up eternity in the hearts of men. He made us in his image. He gave us a soul. Right. He can put, it's clear, there's a lot of evidence all around us, every human you interact with, that God is very well capable of putting uh, a spiritual metaphysical thing in conjunction with a physical thing and having them marry. And it's not a logical contradiction. Yeah. To us, it may seem impossible, yeah. but to God, yeah, All things are possible. Yeah, yeah. Even the virgin birth. Exactly. So yeah, people so, like to attack that point because it's illogical. Um, not illogical. It's supernatural. That's what we call it. Exactly. And supernatural is not a synonym for illogical. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, okay, another one. Luke one thirty four through thirty five. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And that's important when it says he shall be called Holy, because again, this is separating his birth into the world is separate from any other birth. Yeah, it's miraculous. It is something that's supernatural. The Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, and and the only way, or sorry, the only time that has ever happened. Is with Mary. Yeah. For the, the Son of God, the the eternal Word of God, the second person of the Trinity, to become flesh. Exactly. And uh, God overshadowing Mary actually keeps, you know, we, we wonder how did Jesus not inherit a sinful nature from Mary? You know, if all hum, uh, humans inherit this, how does that happen? Well, God overshadowed Mary. God prevents this from happening. Because the Holy Spirit is the one conceiving, the one um, doing all this work in the womb, this miraculous work, um, he overshadows Mary. And that that keeps Jesus from ever inheriting a a sinful nature. We also know all other humans have original pollution and original guilt um, and original corruption from Adam. They're the federal head of humanity. He plunged us all into sin and we're also – we're not just, um, you know, sinful – or, or sorry, guilty because we sin when we become a human and we're conceived, but even from the womb and, and iniquity where yeah. we brought forth. So we're already guilty before God, even before we've ever done anything. It's a part of who we are. Exactly. So why did Jesus not have that standing before God? Why was he born holy? Well, it's because 
the spirit of the Most High overshadowed him, and he did not inherit this from Adam because we inherit it from the father, not the mom. So he was born of a virgin Mary, and he did not inherit this original guilt, original pollution, original corruption, a sinful nature. None of that was given to Jesus. He is holy. He's set apart, um, and this is why. We don't know all the, I, I can't explain to you a philosophical mechanism for how that works, but we just need to trust God on this one, that the Spirit of God overshadowed Mary and was able to prevent all of these things from happening, and Jesus was born fully man, the hypostatic union, and truly, truly man and truly, truly man God. And truly God. The hypostatic union. Yeah. And that is that's, what the incarnation is. Right. And that's a very important theological doctrine. Um, and again, you don't have to be able to articulate this. You don't. You don't necessarily have to know it, but... This is very important to fight against heresy, to fight against false uh, falsehood, is that the hypostatic union mm-hmm. is referencing to uh, the dual nature of Christ. I don't know if that's necessarily the right way to say it. Christ is both truly God and truly man at the same instance. They're not confused. Um, they don't intermingle. Um, and it doesn't affect his personhood. Christ is still one person. He's not broken up into two people all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. But his godhood, his uh, him being truly God, is now clothed with him being truly man. And that's the analogy I like to use for it. Is that it's like, and the analogy breaks down for sure. It just helps to understand a little bit greater. Is that it's like putting on clothes. It doesn't change your per- personhood in any way. Um, obviously that analogy breaks down, but that's what every analogy does. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, do you want to go into John chapter one and read it even yep. more? And well, actually, sorry, before we move on anymore, I want to read, uh, Galatians four, four real quick and, uh, Ephesians chapter one, just talking about this, th- what we just read about what happens in Luke and Matthew when Jesus's incarnation begins with the virgin birth of Mary. Why did that happen? Well, here's our answer. Um, Galatians 4, 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth the son born of woman, born under the law to redeem those that were under law so that we, we might receive adoption as sons. So why did God do that? To save us, to adopt us, to reconcile us to himself. And Jesus willingly says, yes, I will go. Um, Jesus subjects himself to that, not in subordination because he's, he's coordinate with the father. Um, but difference in role, he sends his son to do this task, to do this role. God the Father didn't die for us on the sins Jesus did. Right. Um, and that's the whole foundation of our salvation. And this is why it's so important to look at the hypostatic union, that Christ truly became a man while also being truly God. Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, so then in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, I'll read verse 7. In him... Sorry, 7 to 10. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So again, the reconciliation, the uniting, um, saving us, the redemption of his blood. He lavished us in all wisdom and insight, this, um, this grace that he's given us. Um, and what was the last point? Oh, the mystery of his will. So this is revealed in the fullness of time. So for whatever reason, we can trust that when Jesus came, I know some people say, why didn't Jesus come when we have, um, um, cell phones that we can take 
videos of Jesus doing these miracles. Why, why didn't Jesus come when it would have been very easy to prove that he is God? We would have just taken videos of him healing people and raising them from the dead, all that kind of stuff. Um, well, first of all, you wouldn't believe anyways if that happened. Uh, we have the prophets, and that's not what causes one to believe. It's not proof that causes one to believe. It's the power of the Spirit. It's the power of the Spirit. And also, um, but the proof is there. It's just you will always reject the proof because of your presuppositions, which is why we do presuppositional apologetics. Um, but we have to trust that this was the be- this was the fullness of time. This was this was the perfect time God had chosen when to send His Son and incarnate Him. If that makes sense. Yeah. So I just want to say that before we go to uh, John one. And and I have a great quote on that um, with Christ being becoming truly man being the foundation of all of our faith and all of the object of our worship um a theologian a theologian named john owen says this for if the divine and human nature of christ do not constitute one individual person all that he did for us was only as a man which would have been altogether insufficient for the salvation of the church nor had god redeemed it with his own blood and what he's getting at there is that Christ's person didn't change. He is still and always is God. He is Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. And him coming and partaking in flesh does not confuse his na- uh, uh, confuse his person all of a sudden. Um, and yet even still, when he died on the cross, he didn't lose his godhood. Mm-hmm. He didn't uh, set aside his godhood when he came down and was born of a woman. He was both truly God and truly man at the same time. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have that... Then he just died for us just as a man. And if he died for us just as a man, there's no salvation. So Christ has exactly. to be both truly God and truly man for salvation to be acquired. Yeah. And we'll and talk that's about... Not, that's not limiting him. Exactly. But it's heightening the glory of the cross of Christ because he was truly God. Yeah. And we'll, we'll talk about Philippians 2 um, where yeah. he talks about he did not count equality with God something to be grasped. What does that mean? Did he become lesser? Um, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, there's a unique thing that happens in the incarnation that having the two natures makes things um, interesting, obviously. Good? Yep. Do, do, do you want to do John 1 now? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Do you want me to read it? Is that what you were implying? Oh, I can read it real quick. I mean, we read it last one. We can read it again just to remind you guys. Um, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. Um, he was in the... Beginning with God, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made. Again, the pre-incarnate Christ. Um, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Oh, um, and then in verse 14, so we have this pre-incarnate Christ. So what happens? Later, John, again, because it's a gospel, it's going to get into the life of Jesus when he incarnates himself. So then in verse 14, we see, and the word became flesh. And dwelt among us. And that word dwelt is like tabernacled. Like yeah. he set up a tabernacle with us. Yeah. Um, dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son of God from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore a witness about him and cried out, This is the one of whom I have said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he is before me. I'm going to read 18 too. Yeah. Um, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the father's side. He has made him known. The Father has made his Son known. Yeah. Right? This is all referencing to the incarnation. Yeah. The Son of God becoming man. He became flesh. He dwelt with us. He sh- we've seen his glory. Yeah. And 
a way that some of the old theologians have said it, and there's a very helpful, um, honestly, phrase to memorize uh, just to help us when it comes to understanding this topic is that um, he became what he was not while never ceasing to be who he was. So that's all good. that that's referencing to is he became what he was not, meaning Jesus is God. He's the word who was with God and was God in the beginning. So he became what he was not, which was man, right? He became and took on flesh and robed himself with it. But he didn't lose anything. But he didn't lose anything, right? He didn't all of a sudden set aside his divinity, which is what some people will teach. Yeah, he subjected himself to it. Yeah. Willingly. Willingly. He could have busted out of the flesh at any moment. And like, and we see moments of that. Yeah, you know, with the transfiguration. Matthew, yeah, Matthew chapter 17. The transfiguration where Jesus transfigures himself. Where this, that's where we get the famous verse, his face shone like the sun uh-huh. uh, before his disciples, uh, uh, John, Peter, and James. Yeah. Yeah, so we see he still busts through and he will show his glory and manifest it to his disciples at times. But it has been largely hidden in the flesh. It's robed in it. That's why I like that analogy of it's the robing in the flesh. Yeah. Um, so that was really good, Bryce. An- another good quote. Oh man, I lost my spot. That was right there. Oh, um, nice. Another good quote that uh, that John Owen says is, uh, and this is a little heady. I'm gonna read it, and then me and Rocky can explain it. Um, here, I'll let Rocky explain it though. <laughs> I haven't read the book. I'm just joking. Um, So John Owen says this. But this assumption of our nature into hypostatical union, again, that's referencing the Jesus being truly God and truly man, with the Son of God, this constitution of one and the same individual person and two natures so infinitely distinct as those of God and man. And here's here's the really important sentence that he says. This is very, like, digest this. Whereby the eternal was made in time. The infinite became finite, the immortal mortal, yet continuing eternal, infinite immortal, is that singular expression of divine wisdom, goodness, and power, wherein God will be admired and glorified unto all eternity. So that's kind of old school language. All that he's getting at is in the hypostatic union of the true God and true man, Jesus Christ the Lord, he is infinite in his godhood, um, yet at the same time, he's finite as a man. a man. So exactly. the man, and this goes So we'll to, get into that. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say that this will bleach perfectly into Philippians 2. Yeah, okay, so let's just go and hop in there then. So what did this man look like? Yeah, and I also want to get into, um, by the way, guys, I'm reading from Wayne Grudem's Bible Doctrine. He does have some things that are we disagree with in this book and his systematic theologies, but he does have some good thoughts and i am reading from that so the the thing he goes to next dealing with this whole christ's humanity and his godhood in in um two natures and one uh being sorry two yeah two natures in one being one person one person hypostatic union yeah um this this is like the greatest text for that and understanding and we see like um instances of it in the gospels and we'll point those out too so in philippians 2 you know based on what bryce is saying these um seemingly contradictory or paradoxical truths that are in one person the the finite the infinite god and man all that stuff um this is what paul has to say so he's exhorting the church in philippi to 
not be selfish in the things they're doing because Jesus has given us an example. And he says, let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ. Again, this not looking to your own interests, but subjecting yourself to weakness for a time, even though that's what being meek is. Being meek and humble, Jesus is lowly and meek. Meek is restrained strength. Jesus was meek because he was the God of the universe that came in the flesh. Jesus subjected himself to that. That's what being meek is. And I've always thought that term was so hard to understand, but I think that's a great way to understand it. It's a kind of humility of strength where you have it, but you, it's, it's like pinpointed, unique strength, yeah. which is such a cool thought. And Jesus, um, Jesus exudes that in this way. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking, by what? How did he empty himself? By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, having human flesh and a body, human nature, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Amen. the way Jesus is emptying himself, the weakness he's taking on, the meekness, the lowliness of Jesus is that he is fully God and he subjects himself, although he's in the form of God, he is God, he is equal with God. He did not count in his humanity, in his incarnation, equality with God a thing to be grasped. But what did he do in the Garden of Gethsemane? He said, not your will, I'm sorry, not my will, but your will be done. In his humanity... Jesus is um, fearful. He's sweating blood because of what he has to do. He has to bear the wrath of all of humanity. Yeah. And Jesus, in his, in his humanity, is definitely scared. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All this stuff. In his humanity, these, this is the way he interacts with this God. He is um, subjecting himself to that kind of weakness, emptying himself. Right. But in his... Um, not his... He's not emptying his godhood. No. He's emptying his... Uh, his by dying on the cross. Di- yeah. The weakness. By becoming a servant. Yeah, exactly. He empties himself by being a servant. And again, that goes back to the thing of meekness. You empty your strength and pinpoint it to what needs to be done. Because in a way, the only way uh, Jesus could have done the obedience he did was because of his God. So that meekness and humility of obedience to die on the cross to save us is actually his strength being shown in his deity, but in his humanity, he's weak. He has a human mind and all these things and he grows in wisdom and stature and all that. So, and, and that goes into when, when, uh, when God says my strength is perfected in weakness. And that's not saying that necessarily that Christ is weak to Rocky's point. It's concealed power. Um, but God shows his power by sending his son to die on a criminal's cross, as opposed to how the Pharisaical Jews thought that he was going to come in glory and mm-hmm. crush the Romans. Yeah. Right? But little did he know, he actually was going to come and crush them. Crush them, yeah. But, and the Romans, both of them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And, you know, so I just want to. We want to make it clear that when he says he did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, this isn't saying God or Jesus laid aside his divine nature. He didn't lay that aside. He didn't, um, in that moment, think, "Oh, like my, uh, I've now lost my deity. Like my, like God, where are you? I'm now just a human." 
yeah. and I'm lost. He, in his humanity, is having, um, and in his deity, having the full wrath of God poured out on him. But his, um, that emptying himself and becoming a servant is in regards to his humanity. He does not account equality with God a thing to be grasped because he condescends and incarnates himself and, and limits himself. And that's a crazy important point that John Owen brought up that if, if he truly laid aside his divinity, then his death on the cross meant absolutely exactly. nothing. Because then that means that if that, that, that means that Rocky could go and die for me. Yeah. And the argument back to that would be, well, well, Rocky wasn't perfect. Well, again, perfection has to do with being as opposed to the good that you do. Rocky's being is sinful yeah, because exactly. he's been thrown. the original guilt, original exactly. corruption, all that. He has not been perfect. Jesus and perfection is something that lies with God alone. So this is what's called the canonic theory where people go here and they say he emptied himself. The, the word Greek word there for emptied himself is kenosis. Um, and they call it the canonic theory, which means that he laid aside his divinity. And I'll just go ahead and throw out some names for you. People like Todd Friel, Kenneth Copeland, um, Benny Hinn, uh, all those prosperity teachers, those guys are heretics. They, they say that Jesus laid aside all of his divinity he died just as a man. He did miracles just as a man. Yeah. And that goes into their And that's when they say, oh, it, when Jesus said, you'll do far greater works than me, that yeah. you'll be able to do all that. So they say, yeah, as because a we're a man just as Jesus was a man, that means that we can go do miracles and stuff too, which we're not, gonna, we're not making a point about spiritual gifts or anything. But at the very least, those guys are heretics. We need to watch out for people like that. Mm-hmm. People like Stephen Furtick, same boat. These guys fall under this heretical false teaching that Jesus Christ didn't have divinity he actually changed his person yeah because he laid aside his divinity and all of a sudden now he's not god which yeah. if jesus isn't god we are dead in our sins the trinity is the gospel yeah the hypostatic union of christ is the gospel if there's no hypostatic union we are dead in our sins we need the god man the one who's been revealed from the old he was concealed in the old testament and he's in the new testament revealed mm-hmm. that's the one that we need exactly not some you know man yeah i don't need a man i need the god man yeah well said yeah watch out for those guys those false teachers they do i've heard i've watched youtube videos of them saying jesus did all this just as a man and it's like there is a unique <laughs> like they literally say how can this man not be from God because he does these works? Yeah. Um, now they're not understanding he literally is God, not just from God. He is God. Um, but they start to pick it up. People do claim these things about Jesus because of the works they see him doing. Yeah. What's so, the one guy with the glasses? Bill something? What's his name? With the glasses? Bill what? Johnson. Bill, Bill Johnson. Bill Nye? No, Bill, yeah, Bill Nye. At Bethel? Bill Johnson, Bill Johnson yeah. yeah. So, guys, watch out for Bethel. Watch out for Hillsong. Bethel, Hillsong, um, Elevation Church. Jesus Culture Band. Jesus Culture. Don't. <laughs> just don't They have some good music. We will grant that. The music's catchy, theologically inaccurate. Yeah. If you read not, the not words. Not even inaccurate. If damning you, if you read the word some of some of them is just interact inaccurate yeah, some of them true, are true, like true. okay like it's more emotionalism but yeah watch out for that because again remember the world always wants to attack the person of christ because this is our hope all the heresies all the not all of them but most of them attack the person of christ. the church is built on the foundation of christ so if we get christ wrong if he isn't the son of the living god truly yeah. then we're dead in our sins we need the foundation which is jesus exactly Okay, so 
Another thing's concerning the weakness when it says that he emptied himself and he became a servant and becoming in the likeness of men, being weak and being meek and all these things, although he, uh, in his humanity, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he was God himself. These limitations he puts on himself are things like he has a human body. So in Luke 2, 7, we see he's born just as all other humans are born. Um, in Luke two forty, the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. And then in Luke two fifty two, it says that he increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So like Jesus is growing just like any other boy grows. He incarnated himself. He literally was a man. Um, Again, Jesus has has to be God to actually bear the burden of our sin, but he also has to be a man to represent us as Adam represented us. Right. So we got to re- we got to remember Jesus like when I read this stuff, I'm not trying to say Je- I'm not trying to detract from Jesus's deity. It's just we got to remember Jesus was a man. And we have to um it's both natures. Right. Um this is truly who Christ is, truly both. And um we've made a case the la- the whole last episode of Christology was the pre-incarnate eternal, co-eternal, coordinate um, Christ. And so we've seen that Jesus is deity. He is God himself. Now, we're just trying to expose you to the incarnation that he took on flesh. So Luke 2.52, he grew in wisdom and in stature. Um, and John 4.6, it says, Jesus wearied as he was on his journey, sat down beside the well. So his body got tired. Lactic acid built up in his muscles if he ran too hard. In John nineteen twenty eight, when he's hanging on the cross, he says, I thirst. And they give him some hyssop with some water, I think, or something like that. Um, and when he fasts in Matthew 4, 2, and Satan's tempting him, uh, it says he was hungry afterwards. Yeah. And then the, there's angels sent to him that are ministering to him because he's weak. His physical body's weak. Um, let's see. Oh, yeah. And then the culmination of Jesus's limitations is that in Luke 23, 46, or any of the gospels where we see Jesus's death, his body literally gives out. He can't breathe anymore. His heart stops beating. His brain is not firing. He, he's done. Like he's, his body literally dies. He bore that for us. Um, Luke 24, 39. And when he rises from the dead, um, he says he's not a spirit. This is why in the Nicene Creed it says he came in the body, in the flesh. We got to remember Jesus was a human. He had flesh. Um, so even in his resurrection, he had flesh. And we'll get to that later yeah. on. That's another. That's first John, that which we have seen with our eyes, which we have touched. With exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Getting rid of um, some of these heresies about that Jesus was just a spirit. Again, that is attacking the incarnation, that Jesus was just a spirit. Yeah, he's a man. And uh, actually, I want to end this with uh, some of the common heresies. Okay. I was going to just talk about of, of the incarnation. Yeah. Let's see what else. Um, yeah, those are some of the the weaknesses. Um, Jesus increasing wisdom. So Jesus had a human mind. Not only was his body subjected to weaknesses, like he's hungry, he's thirsty, he gets weak, he gets wearied. He also increased in wisdom, and he learned things. Um, he learned how to be obedient um, to his parents, things like that. Jesus had a human soul and human emotion, so like he actually is troubled in spirit. John twelve twenty seven, Jesus said, "Now is my soul troubled." When he sees Lazarus, he weeps. You know, when he sees Martha and Mary, and they're sad that Lazarus is dead, he weeps over that. He's sad. Um, he's troubled in spirit often. Um, yeah, and then we will get next week into. Um, you want to do high the high priest next week? Uh, 
possibly. Yeah, well, we're going to start going into the offices that Jesus um, says. So we'll talk about his sinlessness, his impeccability, things like that. But those are his in, the, the attributes of him emptying himself and not counting equal, equality with God a thing to be grasped. Those are the kind of things we're talking about. Those kind of weaknesses of his body, of his mind, of that kind of thing. But in his deity, he is a strong fortress that cannot be broken into. He is the stronger man that binds Satan. Yeah. Um, so we got to remember both of these parts of Christ, very important. But they never combat with each other. And these are not stuff that's unpractical, because I can't tell you how many people I've talked to, and when I'm sharing the gospel with them, talking about the person of Christ, where they'll say something like, um, how can, if Jesus is God, how can he pray to God? Yeah, and it's humanity. It's it's him and his humanity, but also this is talking about a distinct person. The father is distinct from the son. The father's not the son. Yeah. And also when you talk to people like Mormons and people like Jehovah's Witnesses. Muslims do it a lot too. All the time they say, how did Jesus pray to his father? Yeah. All the time, whenever I evangelize the Muslims. And these are very, very, very easy things to answer, but it's a shame I have seen very many Christians fall prey to these kinds of questions but they're so easy to answer yeah and this isn't us lifting ourselves up but this is all that we're saying we need to know these things these aren't unpractical you can't just say give me jesus i don't need that theology which jesus yeah which jesus are we talking about and i know we keep saying this and it's like a beating a dead horse but we really need to know who god is yeah we need to know who christ is because if we don't know christ we don't have any religion we don't have any Mm -hmm. christianity Yep. And in terms of apologetics, like some of them, some of apologetics is literally you need to know, quote unquote, extra biblical facts. But a majority of apologetics is just the world says, I don't understand how Jesus could pray to the Father. Well, if you have a robust Christology, you can answer that question. You don't have to go to extra biblical facts. You just need to understand how God's word presents the person of Christ. Yeah. All we're commanded to do is just say, what does the Bible say? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you don't have to be able to explain it. You just have to be able to say, what does the Bible say? Yeah. The Bible teaches this, and that's that. Yeah. Okay, good. Any last thoughts? Those are the main texts we wanted to hit. No, all good. Okay, so I want to go real quick, three heretical views of the person of Christ. So um, if you are thinking something like this, you know, it's not like you're not going to go to heaven, but it's just you've got to remember there's a right way to think about the person of Christ and people have thought wrongly about it and you may as well. I know I, I used to defend modalism all the time Yeah. In, in terms of the doctrine of the Trinity. So, you know, it doesn't mean you're going to hell. It just means you can, you can always learn more. So Apollinarianism, he was a bishop in AD 361 and he taught that the one person of Christ had a human body but not a human mind or spirit and that the mind and spirit of Christ were from the divine nature of the Son and God. Um, and he draws a figure of divine nature and human body kind of like clashing into each other. Um, and this was rejected because Jesus is both um, had a human mind, human soul, human body. Like there's body and soul for both his humanity and um, that divinity, not just a body and then divinity, if that makes sense. The human body has is both a composite of body and soul. Sorry, the human person is a body and soul. So he had a human body and soul and then a divine nature that came into that. Um, and then Nestorianism is another historical view that is saying that Jesus had two... Um, sorry. He had two different persons in one person. We say 
it's the one person of Christ with two natures. Nestorianism says that there was a human person and there was a divine person, a human Jesus and a divine Jesus together. So Jesus was like two different persons, people. But he actually has two natures. Not, he's not two people. He's one person. He's Jesus Christ, the eternal Christ. Um, and then monophysitism or – I don't even know how to say that. Yeah, monophysitism. Um, is basically that the divine person and the human nature come together and create a whole new nature. That Jesus only had one nature and it was this uh, divine human composite and there's just one nature. But we got to remember there's two natures to Christ, one person. So that um, mono, you know, the mono is one physis uh, nature. So there's just one nature, but there's actually two natures to Christ. So these are common. Um, and then the the Council of Chalcedon in 461? That was 492. 451. The Chalcedonian definition in AD 451 is, was explicitly to get rid of some of these heresies that cropped up after even the Nicene Creed and all that. Um, and what they say is that we have... Um, God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, and we have the divine nature and the person of Christ is represented by both the divine nature and the human nature together. So two natures, the Son is fully God, and there's one person, Christ. That is how we are to understand what the Bible says. Okay, so let's obviously not take any heretical positions. Let's remember Jesus is two natures and one person, fully human, having both body and soul. You don't like that? Truly. Truly, sorry. Truly human, uh, fully, hu- f- truly and fully human, as, as a human is both body and soul, and truly God, as an omnipotent, all-powerful, pre- eternal, um, authoritative, sovereign, all that. The exact same attributes. It says in Hebrews, um, is it Hebrews 1 or 2? He's the exact, no, Hebrews 1, three. 3, yeah, 3, 1, uh, one 3. He is the exact imprint of the nature of God. And what is the nature of God? He is sovereign and holy, righteous, wise, just, gracious, merciful, loving, um, all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere at once. Um, he, yeah. Jesus is that. But also in his humanity, he did limit himself. He is limited. Yeah. He is limited. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so hopefully that was helpful. And this is, um, you know, we've talked about the pre-incarnate eternal Christ. And now we've hit um, the incarnation. And now that we have got to the part of Christology where Jesus is incarnated and he's taken on a human nature, um, we will... Um, talk next week these next few weeks about the offices he fulfills as priest and king and um, prophet that jesus is all these things for us on top of his sinlessness impeccability um his lowliness his meekness all those things about the person of christ and then we will hit on his resurrection and now his eternal glorified state as well um and he's been exalted, like we read in. That's why every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. See, Jesus has now to been exalted. The King, to the King, to the King, and for the King, and by the King. Exactly, all things were made for the King, to the King, for Jesus, King Jesus. Five, through four, two. Five, four, three, two. Five, 
by through oh. four two. By through four two. The king. Huh, maybe we can work that into by something. By through four two the king. Okay. Well, by through four to the king. Thanks for listening, guys. Um, remember the website's up. Hopefully that's got some good stuff for you guys. Um, yeah, please check that out. I put some hard work into that. I'd love for that. Again, it's just writing and I got a blog part of it too, but I hope that that information's good and helpful. I want it to be a community. I want you guys to come alongside me and to ask me questions and to, you know, be my, be my brother or sister in Christ in this. I would love for this to be a community. And guys, Rocky is really struggling with money. Please. <laughs> Please give him money. No, I don't need give money. No, no, I don't need money. I again, the whole money thing. <laughs> oh my goodness. Rocky is People have been so weird about the money he thing. Hasn't like, been weeks. like if you're gonna work really hard on something, like if you guys find value in it, then Look, he, you can he, say, "Hey, I appreciate it. Here's some money. I appreciate you working really hard on making a cool podcast." I am. I am because Nathan said something about it, and now you said something about it, and you're struggling. I'm not struggling. I'm fine. I am in debt because I'm a student. So if you like, have compassion on me in that sense, then that'd be sweet, you know. But yeah, I don't want to just like the, the whole money thing isn't to just help me out. Like okay, I was just joking. I know, I know. I would love to do something cool with it, like support missionaries, or like if somebody has a heart for some kind of like I don't know that we want. I don't know if like it could ever become something like that, you know. You could be the middleman for tides. Yeah, like I don't know. I. I since you know we know Nathan, like, what if the podcast was a conduit to support a missionary to go out? You know what I mean? Like, what if something like that happened? Like, I don't know what could happen with the money, but for the king, we'll see what happens. Yeah, for the king, it'll, it'll be for the king no matter what, or for me. Bye. Or for what? I said, or for me. Or for but I'm me. just kidding. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I'm totally joking. Okay. So silly. Yeah. Hope that was helpful, guys. Um, for the king.